Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, invested in cybersecurity on the local level. You know, we like to think we can take most companies into the federal government, but it's a question of how heavy is that lift. And in federal, you'll find that just because a lot of the entrepreneurs have experience working with that market, they sort of thought about it ahead of time and designed their product in a way that that lift is not nearly as heavy. It used to be that venture capital and corporate development were distinct things. Venture capitalists funded companies and corporate development officers and the companies behind them purchased mature companies and provided the exits that made VCs their money. But that relationship is blurred. More and more businesses are becoming direct investors in startups themselves as a way to find new technologies for their customers and obtain new talent. Seth Spurgle is Vice President of Emerging Technology at Merlin International and is leading up their new initiative, Merlin Ventures, wanted to get him in the studio because he's an example of how a number of companies now are using corporate venture as a way to find new technology. Seth, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, tell our listeners, what is Merlin Ventures? Sure. So uh, it's probably easier if you explain it in the context of the broader Merlin company. Uh, so Merlin is a company where we've got partnerships with a lot of the leading software uh, or leading cybersecurity companies to help bring them into the federal market. So these are larger companies, that have, some of which are public, some of which have been around for years. And what we saw was there were a lot of earlier stage companies that weren't quite ready to work in federal, but potentially had really interesting technology that when packaged up with those larger companies could really solve some interesting problems. So we set up a venture arm to go find those companies, invest in them as a VC, pull them into our portfolio and be able to bring them to market together. How does a corporate venture investor look at things? Is it based on return like it would be private fund or are there different, are there different views? I think it depends on the, the, you know, the firm and it also... Uh, there's what, what it says on paper and what they actually do. I think mm -hmm. when you talk to a lot of corporate venture funds, in theory, they are purely strategic, right? They are looking for companies that have some innovative technology that's going to change the way they do business, um, companies that they want to keep tabs on, companies they want to have a foot in the door with. When you actually sit down and talk to some of the people doing the investment for those companies, though, yes, that is their general charge, but they're really trying to also find um, companies that are going to have outsized returns, and then they sort of back into how does it fit with our, our company. For us, it's more... You know, it's sort of a balance, right? Obviously, we are doing this for financial reasons, um, but we're really trying to find companies that match very well to our portfolio because from our perspective, if we can't sell the product, even if that company does very well at their exit, it's something of a failed investment for us, right? We're really looking to companies that we can add a lot of value to on the sales side. From the standpoint of a traditional venture capital model, it's putting money to work with the expectation of making more, but arguably, maybe you're making better investments or they're additive to the business strategy because you have the ability to do due diligence within an industry, have domain expertise, right. and also have a ready selling channel. Right. From our perspective, we can sort of put our thumb on the scale, right? We can find companies that we think are going to do well, but then if we can actually execute on the sales side for a startup, if you can add a few million in revenue to them, that can be a significant return for that startup on the investment side when they do eventually have an exit. I noticed in your background you were at Incutel previously, and that's Incutel's model as well. So this is um, this is pretty familiar to you. Yeah, no, that, that was kind of why I liked this this opportunity. It was a chance to to do what I had done at Incutel, which I really enjoyed and was you know probably one of the best jobs in Washington D.C. But kind of put my own spin on it, um, make some changes where I thought we could make some some improvements to it, and so that's why I jumped at this. So what type of investments are you investing in through Merlin Ventures? So Merlin as a company is really focused on the cybersecurity space. About the furthest we get from that is identity and access management with things like Okta and CyberArk as part of our port, you know, broad, broader sales portfolio. So we're really looking for things that, that fall into that space and complement that. A lot of our investments, because of the markets we sell into, are driven by what the federal government is looking for. Um, and so the CDM program, which really defines a lot of the cybersecurity strategy for the federal civilian market, 
drives a lot of those types of investments. Um, so for instance, you know, an upcoming phase of that is around data security. So those are the types of things we're looking at right now. Um, there's obviously a lot of uh, federal initiatives around secure development, so sec DevOps type of, of tools. Um, and then just, you know, the better mousetrap, right? What is the, the better way of, of securing networks? Um, those are always of interest to us. What's your model from a standpoint? Are you investing earlier stage? Are you investing on your own, $500,000 with other people? What does an investment from Merlin Ventures look like? Yeah, so um, we're pretty flexible. We, our, our real requirement is that it's a product that we feel like we can actually bring to market. So we typically look for companies in a Series A, Series B, where they are mature enough that they have a product that's ready to be used in enterprises, but not so mature that our investment is meaningless to them. Um, our investment sizes have ranged anywhere from one to ten million. Um, it really depends on what makes the most sense with that company and with us and our relationship with them. But the structure is we, you know, we find those companies, we invest in them, and then we pull them into that sales portfolio and, and help take them to market and work with them to get them basically ready to sell into that market. A lot of um, corporate VCs won't lead around; they'll only invest alongside a private fund. Is that your approach too? Uh, typically, yes. Although we have led a few, um, it really depends on, on what makes the most sense and how strategic an investment it is for us, right? For ones where we really see it as an opportunity to build on top of and, and use our uh, in-house integration capabilities to really build something bigger, those will go in on a little bit larger. Mm -hmm. um, but others we've absolutely you know, followed on the round as opposed to leading. So in a way, it's, it's, um, it's almost like you're a scout team. Yep, that's exactly what we're trying to do: is is find you know where we think the the market is going and find those technologies that we think can really help push it there. Many of our listeners are entrepreneurs. I'm sure uh, more than a few are starting cybersecurity businesses. Why, uh, from their perspective, why would they want to take your investments instead of say a traditional uh, private VC firm? Right. Well, that was one of the things I thought was really interesting about this model. You know, the challenge with being a VC right now, unless you're a top tier VC like an Andreessen or a Sequoia is it's hard to get above the noise. There are just a lot of venture funds that are popping up everywhere right now. Other than D.C. <laughs> Fair enough. But even in, in D.C., right, you've yeah. got things like NEA. The idea behind what we're doing is we're not just giving you money and walking away. It's it's more the, the sales channel that comes with it and the exposure to these larger uh, federal markets. And actually, for some of our earlier stage startups, we even bring them into the, uh, commercial markets as well. Mm -hmm. um, it really depends on how you know how much of a presence they have and where they want us to invest. But it's really that piece of it. It's 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 the money is sort of a nice to have in terms of helping you get to the next level on the engineering side, but it's the sales acceleration that we see as the real value of our model. So it really it it really is uh, what I would say is if done well, it's the best of why I would take money from a corporate venture firm if I was in business, which exactly. is it gets me into a pipeline, it gets somebody who's vested in in my success, and uh, makes a lot of sense. I I would think you are finding many interesting businesses to invest in. But what, what is your view of the local cybersecurity startup market? And, and how does it differ from what you see, say, in uh, New York or Austin or out in California? Yeah, I mean, I think because of the government presence, right, you've got things like the intelligence community here. Um, obviously, there's a lot of strength in uh, NSA folks leaving there and starting their own companies. So you do have a real so strong cybersecurity presence. Probably, you know, if you were to look at the types of companies popping up in D.C. relative to other areas, Cybersecurity really pops out. You also have companies that that understand the government and a lot of times have sort of thought about that market as they've designed their product. You know, we like to think we can take most companies into the federal government, but it's a question of how heavy is that lift. Um, and in federal, you'll find that just because a lot of the entrepreneurs have experience working with that market, they've sort of thought about it ahead of time and designed their product in a way that that lift is not nearly as heavy. Um, so it's worked out well for us in that respect. During the Obama administration, there was a lot of focus on contract innovation, finding ways to get garage inventors into the government. And, and a lot of that seems to have uh, 
at least from my perspective, a lot of it's dissipated. I don't see as much of it. What, what's your perspective? Is is this administration uh, proving as interested in working with startups and new technologies? Um, you know, I don't know how specific it is in administration to administration, but I, I think actually if you look right now, there is still a lot of activity popping up from the federal government. There's a lot more activity around um, things like SIBRs to help small businesses get into the government. You've got um, Cyber Command with Dreamport that was stood up recently to really help innovative startups get in and, and demonstrate their capabilities to DOD and intelligence agencies. Um, I, I, so it seems like there's actually a pretty healthy ecosystem of federal support for the startups getting access to the government. Mm -hmm. Where are you on um, what I would call edge technologies, not edge from cybersecurity, edge, edge like uh, new wave, say like quantum computing or AI, which clearly are where cybersecurity is going. Are, are you investing ahead of the curve, or does it really have to be something that's celibate in the government? Yeah, I mean, we're talking to those companies, we're tracking them, but it, for our perspective, it's a little bit early, right? When I was at Incutel, we would we would look at those types of things, um, and even there, they tended to be a bit early for us. Here, we're, we're very focused on what can we sell today, so quantum cryptography is not, you know, really there yet, right. um, so we're, we're not going in heavy on that. It's more just sort of keeping tabs on where the industry is going. So as you talk with entrepreneurs here in town who are doing interesting things that you say could be part of the pipeline five years from now, three years from now, what do you tell them to do with the standpoint of starting their business if they're not able to raise venture, say? You do have a lot of these accelerators or incubators that have started up to help companies do exactly that sort of thing. So uh, we do a lot of work with Mach 37, which is one based in Virginia that was set up by Virginia's CIT mm -hmm. originally. And, and so they're looking for these really early stage companies that are more of a technology and an idea than a full-fledged business to help build that out. So that's one option. Uh, I mean, the tried and true way of doing it in DC is you start a consulting company and build something out and then eventually turn that into a product. Mm -hmm. um, that's another. Um, it really depends on the resources the entrepreneur has and, and how dedicated they are to this opportunity and, and what type of opportunity it is. I think you're right. Consulting and then converting to product and is the way to go. I think that federal R&D and, and small business innovation research grants are the way to go. And, you know, look at um, even things like Siri on our cell phone, which makes us crazy. I mean, that came directly out of DARPA grants. Right. I mean, so much of the technology we use has come out that way. Well, Seth, thanks very much for the time today. You've given some uh, great insight into corporate venture and also how people might be able to take advantage of having Merlin Ventures in town. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Seth Spurgle, ladies and gentlemen. And now, non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. I know a lot of people here on the right coast may not pay too much attention to what's going on on the left coast. But for those of you who have been following regulation in the state of California, Governor Newsom has been up to some very interesting things in a wide variety of areas that may one day affect us here in the Beltway region. Back in September of 2019, Governor Newsom passed a law called AB5, which has been getting national and even global attention. AB5 is relevant here because it helps determine whether a worker is an independent contractor versus an employee. Many are talking as if AB5 might be a forecast of individual states' reactions to the gig economy and its impact on worker protections and rights such as minimum wage, overtime pay, benefits, paid sick days, access to health insurance. Many states are not happy with how these issues are being covered at the federal level and therefore enacting their own legislation. Will that wave from California come here? I don't know. But many states are now looking at mimicking AB5, and we need to monitor it carefully. So what does AB5 do? It creates this thing called the ABC test. 
And under the ABC test, a worker is considered an independent contractor if the company's hiring the worker and establishes the following. One, the worker is free from control and direction of the hiring company in connection with the performance of the work. The worker performs work that's outside the usual course of the hiring company's business. And the worker is customarily engaged in an independent established trade or occupation as the work is performed. At least two courts have already held that the ABC test can go retroactive up to four years. Damage claims are expensive. Penalties are expensive. People are worried that hundreds of thousands of workers who were considered independent contractors may now be considered part of your employee base, in which case you have to pay overtime and benefits and all kinds of other things that you may not have factored into your budget. These laws are coming soon. Are they too paternalistic? Do gigs even want these protections? The ironic thing about AB5 is there were people who worked for Lyft and Uber who enjoyed their independence and joined these companies because they want to stay independent contractors and don't want to be full-time employees. Many of them are gigs by choice. We need to realize that our workforce is shifting quickly. There's big debates between old school and new school viewpoints on this. AB5 takes effect early this year. We need to monitor carefully whether you have business operations in California or not and see if this big wave is coming east anytime soon. That was your non-billable consult with legal expert Andrew Sherman. Our executive producer is Tracy Madigan and our web writer is B. Aldrich. Music provided by two local bands, The Sunbathers, and my own band, Two Car Living Room. Thanks to Acuity. Acuity is a leading technology innovator solving big data analytics problems. Check them out today and discover the power of Acuity. If you have a story idea, don't forget to tweet us at What's Working DC. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Thanks for joining us.